Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, and if I've not met you before, my name's Rick, and yes, I'm one of the pastors at Portico and was here for a number of years as uh, leading our campus, and happy to be back. Portico is one message, uh, one church, one message with many expressions, and if you're visiting, you know what that means is that we meet in a lot of places over the course of a Sunday morning, but the message is always the same. The expression might be a little different, but the message is all the same. We have a group of five communicators that uh, meet together and prepare the same Sunday message, And I've been expressing myself over at Discovery Church for the last number of weeks, and we're not sure how that's going, so they're having a break for one Sunday before we roll back in there next Sunday. So I grew up in a home that was governed by this principle. This is what was fed into us time after time, day after day, is that different people get different things at different times. And really, it was just a way for my parents to justify their weakness for playing favorites amongst the kids. But what they, they, what they were trying to do is, te- is teach us a lesson that there are different individuals who will receive different things through the course of their times and, and, and their lives at different times. And so treats and special things were given out to kids as they saw fit. And that played out in a number of different ways over the course of our lives. Now, when my brother was 14, he got his, his first job, and he was working at Blockbuster Video. Anybody remember Blockbuster Video? Yeah, it was, uh, that was a classic right there, right? And uh, he, he started there when he was 14, 15 years old. By the time I was 12, I had two places where I was making money. I had a paper route, and I was uh, coaching, um, umpiring kids baseball and refing kids hockey. And we did that so we could pay for our own sports. And so we ended up saving for school and things like that. My sister was too busy to work, though. She didn't need to have a job. She was traveling the province in dance competitions. And uh, so she was too busy, apparently, for my parents to encourage her to get a job. And she didn't get her first job. She wasn't required to get her first job until she graduated university, which, of course, my parents also paid for. And then, you know, even when she got her first job, she was really learning the lessons of life because she moved in with us and lived with us for free. So, uh, yeah, different people, different things at different times. She's moving to Milton, actually, in a couple of weeks. You, may, you might meet her, and you might want to ask her about it. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully she's... <laughs> her name is Jen. She's about five. <laughs> hopefully, she's listening this morning. Hi, Jen! <laughs> when, I, when I bought my first home back in, back in London, we bought, we bought our first home, and I don't even want to tell you how much that first home was when we bought it, because it would buy a car these days. But when, when I bought my first home, my parents came and they helped us move in. And one of the wonderful gifts that they gave us when we moved in was a, this pineapple. When, when, when we first came, we got, yeah, you're laughing because you know, you've heard. <laughs> they gave us a pineapple when we moved in. Now, when my brother got his first home, that was actually a gift from my grandma who was moving out and has since passed away. But it, it was, there was kind of a half-juicy pineapple that we got when we got our first home. They got their own first home. So, you know, different people, different things, different times. And the last one I want to share was that we lived, we lived behind a school. And those were the days when parents didn't love their children as much as they do now. 
and, and kids were allowed to go play in the park unsupervised. And my sister, all through growing up, she had a strict 9 o'clock curfew until her last year of high school. She had to be in the house at 9 o'clock all the way through. There was a joke around our house, though, is that when the phone rang, and remember there was phones on the wall, it wasn't in our pockets, there were those things on the wall, and you would pick it up, and they would say, is Rick there? And this is no joke, because I was home many times when this happened, they would say, I don't know, let me see if he's home. And then they would shout, Rick, are you home? And if I was home, I would answer, and if I wasn't home, the answer was, I guess he's not home. Different people <laughs> getting different amounts of care, gifts, at different times. And I, I need to tell you, I was the middle child. Any other middle children in the room? We're unloved, right? We are neglected and unloved, and we tell everybody about it for the rest of our lives. That is the way that we operate. That's just our thing. If you don't like us, you're just like our parents. You don't like us. No. <laughs> I joke, but I learned a few valuable lessons from them about life, is that we don't all receive the exact same things in the exact same circumstances in our lives, and there's a number of different reasons. Parents, you know this. We individualize the kind of care and discipline that we need to give our children because every kid doesn't necessarily need the same thing. And our world adapts and functions very similarly. We will receive different things from it based on what we need or based on the way that our world perceives us. McLean's magazine recently highlighted one of these disparities in how we treat different employees with our salaries. I want you to watch the video. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, I don't know if you, got, if you get McLean's or read McLean's. This is just a few weeks ago. So I don't know if you caught that, but McLean's charge women $6.99 and men they charge 26% higher because in an average job in Canada, if a man and woman is doing the same job, a man will receive 26% more of the salary on average. And this is a historical trend that has happened, and it was a decision that was made years ago, and, and just a pattern that's happened when women were not the predominant financial providers in their home. So people made a decision, well, we would not need to pay women as much. Their role was to stand behind their family, stand behind their husband. That's going to add the value to their world. Now, in the latest set, this, this was made again years ago, before, as women were first entering the workforce, probably just over a century ago. In the latest census, who do you think has more education, women or men? Women. 71% of women went on to earn a post-secondary diploma, where 63% of men went on to earn a post-secondary diploma. And it goes on from there, and the numbers you'll see, that women are actually more trained and more educated for the jobs that they are receiving 26% less salary. A giant inequity. Now, in our family, if I stopped working and stayed home to run the family, things would actually go fairly well for us. We could, uh, I work at the church. I don't know if you know this, but this is not one of the six-figure salary jobs where we can make a lot. We could afford to live just fine, and I would get to bake a lot more. I love to bake things. I, like, sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're kind of soggy and not so good. But, but like, I, would, I would enjoy that. Every sock drawer around our house will be color-coded because I like, I like color-coded sock drawers. And I like scented candles. We would have like a, like a blue candle in one room and a, and a red one in another room. And it would mix and it would be lovely. And yeah. Amanda seems to keep winning awards in her role as an educator every year for something. She's got articles. And she had another one this week, right? You had another, yeah, yeah. You had another one this week that you, oh, so did Lee. Lee won this week too as well. See, Scott, you and I will retire and let the, let the women go on, all right? <laughs> we are lucky that our spouses work in a job where it's equitable. 
we know that in many instances, women and men are not being paid at the same level. And there are all kinds of individuals here, let's leave it out of genders, with similar abilities, and you may or may not be receiving the same pay, honor, or respect that you deserve. You may have moved from a country where your education and experience was just as valuable as the education and experience that I may have received growing up in Canada, and you're probably much more skilled than I am, but your training is not being validated, so now you are forced to work a job way beyond your capabilities and way beyond your experience because you've simply moved from another country. Maybe you've had an experience. Maybe we know this. If you have an experience of running with the law when you're younger or you're over the age of 18, it will limit your opportunities and now your capabilities will go underutilized because of one choice, one mistake that you may make when you're 18, 19 years old. And all over our world, we see inequitable realities of how we work and how we live and how people judge and view us and what that means for us. So what are we supposed to do as Christ followers, if we look to the Bible, what are we supposed to do when life treats us unfairly or unequitable? Well, we're in the book of James. We're in a series called Under Pressure over all of our campuses, and we're dealing with the points of pressure that we experience on a regular basis. And this is one that we're going to look at. James actually speaks to inequity. So if you have your Bibles, open up. We're going to go to James. We're still in James chapter 1. And I don't know if, if you've been finding the same thing that I've been finding as we've been working through James, but when you look at it, James is a harsh dude. Like, <laughs> did you see? In, in, in verse 1, he said that a person, or I mean, in, in, week, in week 1, when we were studying it, he said that a person who has faith that wavers between God and the world, so when you waver, sometimes I have faith in God, sometimes I have faith in the world, he said, you shouldn't expect to receive anything from God if you live like that. Like, whoa, easy, James. And then he goes, and then as we were prepping for a message that we're going to be speaking in, in May, I, we're, we were looking at if you have faith but you don't act it out, it says, he says, good for you, that kind of faith is useless. So we need to know that this is the kind of person that we're reading. <laughs> this is James. He was a Jewish guy who taught in very extreme ways. He was speaking to Jewish Christians who were being influenced by those who were living around them in Jerusalem but were still living their old ways. So we need to know that he's over the top at times. He'll look at you and say, your faith is useless and you will not receive anything from God if you waver. This is the kind of guy that's speaking. But given that this is the style of his communication, we thought it would be fun this morning to read, from our, read our text from the message version because the message version is not one that tries to capture it word by word literally. It's one that tries to get the theme and get, and get the feeling behind the message. And since James kind of speaks this way, we thought for one week, why don't we read out of the message? So here we are in James 1, verses 9 through 11, out of the message version, looking at iniquities. Here's what it says. When down and outers get a break, cheer. When the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Prosperity is as short-lived as a wildflower, so don't ever count on it. You know that as soon as the sun rises, pouring down its scorching heat, the flower withers. Its petals wilt, and before you know it, know it, that beautiful face is a barren stem. Well, that's a picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment everyone is looking on in admiration, it fades away to nothing. Let's pause and pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the time that we've had to get together and worship and in music this morning. We've been worshiping in our giving and we've spent some time in prayer. Lord, I ask that as we focus on these words this morning that you would help us to reflect on what it may mean for our lives. 
God, we pray that we wouldn't bring our understanding of you to this passage. We pray that this passage would speak to our lives. Help us to have a new perspective on how you view the world, how you view us and the way that we work after we've studied it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, interesting language he uses there. When people who are low get something good, cheer and celebrate. And when people who are high are brought down to size, cheer and celebrate. Something interesting that we might not think would be in the Bible. But, but James was wrestling with a real tension that the believers were dealing with in their days. And so do we. When we look out into the parking lot this morning, we will be able to see that there are very different income levels of the, of the way that people have, right? We have these people with their high-end motorcycles. Where are you? You know, we've got, there's a, there's a Portico motorcycle gang. I don't know if you know that, but they all have these, like, $100,000 motorcycles, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're, and they're, they're in this gang, and there's four or five of them, and, and they, they earn the millions of dollars, and some of us drive lowly Ford Focuses, and we are, we are barely scraping by, and that car is just uh, holding together. And actually, the fact is, just to be, fully honest, the fact is that any of us own a vehicle, have a place to sleep and have a phone, that puts us in the top 1-2% to of earners in the world. We know this, right? So we are never in a place that we should be complaining about how much money we make. Complaining is very relative in, in our world. But as you're, as you're taking notes, whether it be on your, on your app, on your, on your device, or on, uh, in pen, pen and paper, the first one we want to think on this morning is this, is that inequities are an, are an inevitable reality in this world. Dealing with unequitable situations are, is inevitable if we're going to live life. And God never promised us that life would be fair and equal. Some of us have this bad theology that God wants to make everything equitable for everyone on this earth. We think if God was good and if God was really in control, everyone would experience the exact same thing. Especially if we place our trust in Him and we put our finances or our faith or our lives in Him. Shouldn't everything be evened out today? But look what James 1 and 9 says. We're going to go back to the NIV so we get word by word. Here's what it says. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Now, there's two parts to that. But the first one there, believers in humble circumstances. Think about this. What's key to understanding this verse is James calls out the fact right there that there were and there always will be believers who are broke. <laughs> there's, there, 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 there's no... Getting around that, James says, there are people who are living among you who don't have as much as others around you. Jesus said it this way, even more clear, Matthew 26, 11, the poor you will always have with you. So there is no teaching in the Bible that says, just because you put your faith in Christ, you will have equitable circumstances. We don't follow a God who answers most of our prayers with money. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard of something called prosperity theology, prosperity gospel? It, it, it swept across uh, Christian circles back in 70s, 80s, and 90s. There are still uh, factions of it today. But this is, this is the base understanding of it. If we pray well, if we obey well, if we do the right things, then God will bless us with health and wealth and life will go great. We just need to figure out what the right prayer is, what the right way to give is, and the right way to serve. And if we magically figure that out, then God will give us what we need. And there is biblical teaching that it's based on. Malachi 3.11 says, if you do this, I'll open up the heaven, windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessing you need. 
And this was specifically talking about bringing your tithe into the storehouses. I'll pour out all the blessing you need. Philippians 4.19 says, God will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. So, so it's not like people have taken this idea and said, I just think this is who God is. But they've taught it out of scripture. But the problem is this. It ignores the exact other perspective that is played out in the Bible. That poverty and struggle is a reality, and it's not necessarily the issue that God is going to fix. And the blessing that he pours out may not be money. In fact, most of the time we see it's not necessarily resources. There are issues that need to be fixed and God pours out blessing for. But there are others that we just live with and we need to work around. Sin was an issue that needed to be fixed. We had broken relationship with God. A lack of luxurious living is not one of the issues that God said, everybody deserves ease and comfort and I'm going to fix it. And the blessing that God typically sends is not monetary. So let's go back to James 1.9 and see what it says. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So I grew up in a home that was more humble in circumstance than my peers. We didn't always have money for school trips. We didn't always have money for extras. When I, when I was in sports, I, w- I, w- I was a goalie. And the reason why I was saving up my money to buy sports equipment was because I had to use the team equipment. I don't know if any of you played hockey back in the, back in the 80s, but do you remember those brown leather pads? That were like, they were like this big, and they, when you went down on the ice, they got wet. And they probably weighed about, I don't know, 40 pounds that you had on your legs. I am not a big guy. I was not a big kid. I was probably, at 10 years old, only like 90 pounds. And I had 40 pounds on my leg, and there were holes in the goalie pads, and there was stuffing coming out of it, and the other kids would laugh at me. And, and I'll tell you, my humble circumstance was not something I took pride in. And when you have humble circumstance in your life, I want you to think, is that the source of your pride? Like, look at my car. It starts most mornings. <laughs> There's, I want you to see the rest spot right here. <laughs> this, this is beautiful. I like, I, li- I like this. When my first car, uh, side note, my first car that, that I had it, had, it had a hole in the exhaust pipe from like somewhere in between where it was coming out of the engine and, and back at the bottom. So there was a hole and it, and it vented right out to the passenger side. So if the car had been running for any length of time and you were trying to get in my car, your legs were burnt. <laughs> so like you had to like jump over. I took you on our first date in that car, right? Yeah, that was a good... Yeah, we had to, we had to make sure that you had to jump over that. <laughs> Not a source of pride. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you. Even my sister, the princess, she, the princess, she had... <laughs> I love you, Jen. <laughs> she, she had to choose what she was going to do in terms of dance because our family never necessarily had all the unlimited resources. And in any course of your life, you're never going to take pride in those issues. So why would James write, believers, when you're in a humble circumstance, take pride in your high position? Our focus is so wrong. Life was not designed to be about this life. We want to take pride in the fact that, hey, I can pay for everything that I want. I don't have to deal with hand-me-downs. I can go on vacation everywhere that I want. I I can provide for every one of my needs. And life was never designed to be about this life. Life was designed to be about eternal life. 
and we lose perspective. We, see, we say, oh God, you see my struggles. Would you come down from heaven and would you meet the big issues in my life? And God looks at us and said, I already did. You just forgot what the biggest issues in your life were. You thought the biggest issues in your life were, I'm not sure that I can meet this car payment and I'm not sure I can have the house that I want. And God says, actually, I've promised you riches in heaven. I've promised you an eternal life. I've promised you forgiveness of sin. And he said, actually, those who experience life as last on this earth will experience life as first when we get to the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus taught in Matthew 20 and 16. So James looks at the believers and says, be proud of your inequity because God is taking up what's right for you and you'll have victory. Everything that you see on this life will pass away, and everything that I'm giving you victory in will outlast everything on earth right now. And truth be told, the victories that we see on earth, money and power and privilege, and we get so jealous of the stuff that we're not winning at, but God says, that's not winning. <laughs> I've got winning for you beyond this earth. And really what God is asking us is, will we trust him enough to stop stressing about the unfair, unequal parts of our life and value our relationship with him over everything else. And that's why we can take pride in our humble circumstances, because I say, no, I'm going to trust that God will take up my fight. Because our, and this is our second thought, is that God will balance out all of life's inequities. We can take pride in it, because there is a day coming where God balances out all of life's inequities. It's not our job to fight for equity in life today. Our job is to trust that God's kingdom is a place where he will bring balance in the way that we need it. And James is demonstrating the thought that inequities are a reality of our world, but God doesn't take pleasure in them. God doesn't look at people who are without, who are struggling and say, man, I'm so happy that they're struggling more in life than such and such a person is. Because it was never God's design to be that way. He designed it to be very different and we will return to a place where it's very different. But, but here's where we see in James 1, 9 and 10, back to the message, when down and outers get a break, cheer. <laughs> when the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Because the joy of the kingdom takes place when those who are without get and those who are with lose and it is given to those who are without. That, that is the joy of the kingdom because God's design, let's go back to the very beginning. God's design that was that there was zero distinction between any individual, male, female, doesn't matter what nationality, doesn't matter what age. God's original design was that there was no distinction between us. Galatians 3 and 28, Paul wrote this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. That, that means there was no favorite person and then those who were added later. There is no slave nor free. So that's talking about wealth. There is no male nor female. That's talking about gender. And here's what it says. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That was the original design. This is what Paul's teaching is coming. And sadly, the, the, the church has been one of the vehicles of sexism, racism, and inequities in our world. We decided at some point as in the church that because women had a lesser role in our society and there was distinction between men and women, that we needed to replicate that in the church. And 
For centuries, women were not given the ability to be educated, and in some cultures still today, women were not given the, are not given the ability to be educated. So in the early church, they looked at it and they said, well, you know, if, if women aren't educated, women haven't been given the opportunities, we probably shouldn't let an un- uneducated, inexperienced woman teach everybody else because they've never had the opportunity to have education. But that's not God's intended design. So when you read that in the Bible, that isn't God saying, hey, there should be inequity. That was a practice of the church because of what society happened. What we see is that back in Genesis, both women and men were made as pure, whole individuals in God's image. What we see in Galatians is Paul saying, there is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And God's design was that we would, in any situation, there would be no difference, and we will return to that role of no difference. So what is our role as a kingdom dweller, a dweller of the kingdom of heaven on earth? It's to ensure that we do everything to make sure that there is no difference experienced between us. There is nothing biblical that says a woman's role is to stand behind a man. We were created equal with whole beings in God's image. If anything, it's a man's role to fight to make sure that this equality is experienced every day of her life. And if she succeeds in spite of the sexism she faces in this world, what does James 1.9 says? I should cheer. And if me, as a white male in Canada, experience difficulty because I I have advantages that I don't even recognize, that I'm not even aware of, When I'm brought down to size, the society should cheer. That's kingdom equality. The church has segregated races for thousands of years. We've had had white churches, black churches, Chinese churches. We've had all different kinds of churches. Now, some of it, I get, was language and worship preference. But some of it was our inability to see each other as equal. But the kingdom isn't a place like that. The kingdom is a place where if we have more than our peer... We should expect that we would be humbled one day, and we should expect to bring everybody together. That's why we absolutely love the, the, um, the, the diversity that is expressed in Portico. We have over 83 different nations. We have, those, we have men and women in leadership. We have nation and nation leadership. We have kids that lead us. We have seniors that lead us. We have all kinds of people that lead us because that's the way that God designed it, that we are all equal in the kingdom. And if we don't have what we think we should have, we should be happy because God is taking up the fight for us and one day he will make it right. And if we do have, if you sit in a place of privilege today, we should watch out <laughs> and we should make sure that we are doing everything we can to make sure that those around us are, are, be, are experiencing the equality that God worried about. And we're going to take up a second offering at the end of the service because if you're worried about having too much, we can just take everything from you and then that way you won't have to be humbled. Like, we'll... no. Seriously? No, just <laughs> so what's the takeaway? The takeaway is this. To truly understand God's kingdom, you've got to take the focus off yourself. You have to take the focus off of who you are what you can accomplish here and now. And you have to remind yourself that life was never intended to be about today. Life was intended to be about your eternal life and your eternal um, presence in God's kingdom. Psalm 90 and 10. Here's what David wrote. 
Our days may come to 70 years or, or 80 if strength endures, and I would add, or 90 if modern science allows it, or 100 if, you're, can, if you've been eating kale and you've been um, going to bed at 8 p.m. and doing like. Yet the best of them, here's how the verse goes on, yet the best of those years are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away and we fly away. It doesn't matter what you experience, life wasn't intended to be about this. And the choice that you and I make every day should be to benefit anyone that is in a lower circumstance than mine. What's the golden rule? Do unto others of you would have done unto you. If I was down and out, I would wish that somebody would, would make life easier for me. And God said, Jesus said, here's the kingdom. If there's, if there's somebody that doesn't have, then make sure they have. If, if you have it, go do it. Because life isn't about what you can gather in this world anyway. And this goes against human instinct. <laughs> Most of the Bible does go against human instinct. I like me. I like taking care of me. You like taking care of you. And God comes down and says, no, but it's, no. I'll take care of you. You take care of everybody else. So whatever the gap is that you see, whether it's financial, whether it's gender, whether it's racial, whether it's, whether it's privilege, whatever it is, take up that and say, I'm going to put them at the front and I'm going to put myself at the back because that's what God would want me to do. Luke 22, 26, and 27, look what it says. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. He said, be different than everybody else. And the leader should be like the servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. Jesus goes, I'm not going to take hold of the privilege that I could take. I'm, in fact, going to put myself lower than everybody else. And the kingdom of heaven will cheer when I choose to make myself lower, when I sacrifice what I could have. Heather's going to sing a song for us. We're going to sing it all over our campuses this morning. It's called For the One. And what I want us to do is reflect on the thoughts and the words of Jesus as she sings. It's not a song that we would sing along with. I want you to reflect on Jesus' words. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. How can I become greater in the kingdom by serving someone who has less? Not how can I become greater in Milton. How can I become greater in the kingdom? How can I bring God's kingdom to Canada's reality? I want you to reflect on those words. But before we get there, we're going to pray the words of these songs. And uh, who's back there? Taylor, just bring up the words, the first two words of the song. And, uh, or first two, there's a verse and then there's a chorus. I want us to pray this together. And then Heather's going to sing it for us. So why don't, we, why don't we just read these read these words together. Ready? Let me be filled, read along with me, with kindness and compassion for the one, the one for whom you loved and gave your son. For humanity, increase my love. Help me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you even in just a smile. 
they would feel the Father's love. Thank you very much. Um, wow, what a line. Increase my love. Let's not get caught up in all the things that might be unfair, but increase my love that I'd have open arms to love like you do. What a good message. What a good truth. Yeah, sometimes we can just get caught up in all of it, right? And, and what we need to really do is just love like he loves us and extend that love to others. Let's pray. Father, we, we, uh, we thank you um, for your love. Lord, as we talked about last week, there's, there's nothing, nothing good outside of your love. Everything that is good comes from you. And Lord, the love that we feel today, the, whether how immense or how small it is, it comes from you. And we thank you. We thank you for that love. And Lord, I, I pray that we would extend that love. Lord, those of us here who have the ability to help those in need who are going through difficult circumstances, that we would extend the love needed, whatever that looks like. And Father, those of us who may be those down and out that are struggling right now, that we would receive that love and that help and that hope that comes from you, that encouragement that comes from you, help that comes from the church, your, your people, extending love that you've shown them, that we would extend our arms like you do to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rick, so much.